Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Chuck Tuck, and I am your host for Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. Today, my guest is an award-winning author who has published over 30 books, and he is going to definitely give you some insight to reincarnation and the afterlife. His name is Stephen Halley Martin. Enjoy the show. Mr. Martin, thank you for joining me today. And, you know, one of the big topics that I want to cover today is life after death. Is there really such a thing? And, and the reincarnation. Now, there are stories behind people who say that they've had the uh, experience coming back from death, whether it be short term or if you want to call two minutes long term or 20 minutes long term. Sometimes you hear about people who had drowned and they physically they had died. Um, and I've heard stories of some that come back and they said, I saw the bright light. I was walking towards it. I heard my name being called and I, I knew it was not my time. Or others have said that they hadn't seen anything. So, um, you know, before we really get into answering all that stuff, can you give a little bit of a background about your history and how you, how, how this became of such a great interest to you? Because you have so many books out there and I, I saw that there's, more than 30 books that you have written that you've published yeah that's right well thank you so much for having me on i'm i appreciate it uh yeah i uh, grew up in a family that would i would classify as being the scientific materialist they believed that if you couldn't see it under a microscope it didn't exist and that's certainly the 19th century uh, theory that's still taught in school today that nothing exists except matter, although quantum physicists tell us that actually matter doesn't exist in the way that people in the 19th century who came up with that theory thought it did. It, matter is really energy. Uh, there's nothing mm -hmm. solid. Everything is vibrations, energy vibrating. But anyway, I'll tell you, I, uh, I grew up in a uh, scientific materialist family. They didn't believe anything didn't existed if you couldn't see it under a microscope. And that's what I thought, certainly what I was taught in school and uh, college. And, and uh, what happened is when I was about 25 years old, I had what would be what I now realize was a near-death experience. Uh, I uh, uh, won't go into detail about it. It wasn't really all that an interest, wasn't a very interesting <laughs> near-death experience. Basically, I... I uh, was pretty sick and I popped out of my body for probably just a short time, but I was kind of up at the ceiling of my bedroom, looking down at my body on the bed that kind of looked like roadkill. And I had a, an epiphany. I realized, hey, you know, I was brought up to believe that the brain creates consciousness. And when you pull the plug on uh, the body, you know, when it dies, that's <laughs> it. That's the end. There's no more. Well, I realized that hey, I'm up here. What I feel is me is up here near the ceiling, looking down at that body down there that looks looks like he's uh, just been run over by a truck. So I realized that, and that's what really started me on this quest. And I I, uh, I joined the Rosicrucian Society, which is a society of mystics that uh, study metaphysical laws. And I rose from a novice to an adept, you know, I went through all their courses and so forth, took their exams. Mm -hmm. And I read everything I could get my hands on. Probably the, uh, the most uh, telling book that I read when it first came out 
in the late 70s, I'm an old guy now, uh, it came out that I was probably probably in my not even 30 yet back then. And it was a, a Life After Life by Raymond Moody, which has become a classic, really the first bestseller, at least on uh, near-death experiences. Raymond Moody was a uh, resident at the University of Virginia School of Medi Medicine and uh, talked to a lot of people who had been clinically dead, died on the operating table or wherever, and and resuscitated, revived, and they told their stories, you know, about going through the tunnel and having the past life review and all the things everybody's heard about. But mm -hmm. uh, then in my mid-30s, I had what I refer to now as a uh, an experience of mystery, a uh, kind of uh, mystical experience where I was meditating. I was in, in my backyard on a lounge chair, laid back. It was a beautiful day. I was meditating and I just sort of merged with the, the infinite mind. And I, you know, I had the answers to all the questions you could possibly answer in this feeling of bliss and completeness and so on and so forth. And, and I realized later on that what had happened is I had for a very short time, probably actually kind of gone into that uh, ground of being that we're all, that we all come from that universal mind that creates all there is. And so uh, I did study uh, and find out what, uh, there aren't many people, you know, scientists have this religion that they're sticking to called scientific materialism, even though most quantum physicists don't, don't go along with it anymore. They believe that everything came from, from the ground of being that they call the unified field. And I think they're probably right, only I would say the unified field is kind of just a precursor to consciousness and that consciousness is the ground of being and that we all share one consciousness. We think we're different because or separate because we have our memories and we have our subconscious mind that's been built up over many generations and many lifetimes. And we have our egos that have developed in this one. It may, all of that makes us think we're separate, but we're really not. But very quickly, just to touch on, you can, if you want to detail about any of, of things I say about the science behind all this, the University of Virginia got a grant back in the 1960s from a guy named Chester, I think he was his last name, who invented the Xerox machine, the Xerox process of making copies. Got very rich doing that was interested in reincarnation and gave the university a grant of, I don't know how much, you know, $100 million, I don't know, but it was a lot of money because they're still using it to study, uh, first off, reincarnation. Later, they got grants to study near-death experiences and other kinds of things that having to do with the mind-body relationship. And so they have been studying uh, children's memories of past lives since the mid 1960s, more than 50 years. And they have now accumulated over 25 or 2600 cases that they've investigated, most of which they term as solved in that they, what the child said about who he was in the past life and his, where he lived and what his name was and what his relatives names were and job he had and how he died and all that kind of stuff, checked out you know, that they were able to find somebody with that name and with that 
history and that uh, type of death and so on and so forth. And so they, they have, as I said, almost 2,500 cases that they've collected over 50 years that demonstrate that uh, reincarnation is real. And anybody who ignores that has got to, you know, they're just, it's a knee jerk reaction of, uh, of scientific materialists who still stick to this idea that nothing exists except matter. The other so thing, just go ahead. Oh, I, so, I mean, that's a really interesting point there, especially about the reincarnation and past life or past life recall. So I kind of want to hit on that right okay. now a little bit because, sure. you know, uh, you mentioned that the study's gone on for 50 years. There's nearly 2,500 case studies that have been solved and they're kids. So my thinking on this is, is it because you hear oftentimes kids don't have this mental block of, oh, I'm not supposed to believe that, whereas adults will say, oh, that must have been a movie I, I remember, rather than really exploring and realizing that it's possibly a past life recall. It could, it's, it's, well, what's your, that's a good question and uh, an excellent question. And what I would say to that is that sometimes people do have adults will have a, and I know people I've interviewed, you know, I had a podcast for three years back uh, a while ago and I interviewed uh, over that course of three years, hundreds of people. And uh, I've you people that uh, had a past life recall when they were an adult because they, they came into a situation that just triggered it. You know, like they were riding on a train, they were going somewhere that, and you know, whatever it was matched up in their brain and the whole thing came flooding back. But typically uh, people who remember a past life are children and it usually happens uh, when, as soon as they start to talk, which could be 18 months or two years. And they will start talking about, you know, they'll just say something like, uh, oh, mommy, you know, I used to have a, a car, uh, you know, a house like that when I was, you know, before I came to you. And, they, and they'll just keep talking. And, you know, the uh, what the nowadays, when the child starts doing that, it's very easy to do a Google search and find the University of Virginia that's looking into this. And so, uh, the uh, researchers will, you know, have them write down, you know, what the, what the child says, and then they'll check it out. And if possible, they'll go see the child, talk to them themselves. But typically it starts mm. when they're 18 months to two years, it'll last up until they're about six years old, five or six, and then it, it fades and they just kind of forget about it. And so it's also typical for these children to have died in the previous life an unnatural death. Either they're murdered, they're um, killed in battle, uh, in combat, uh, they uh, were in an automobile accident, or in some way that their life was cut short. They didn't live to old age and you know, died a natural death. And so it seemed, and, and also the other thing that's interesting about these children that remember past lives is that they, the average time, this is the average, between the death that occurred the previous life and the birth is only 15 months. So, you know, nine months of that oh, time- Oh, really? Is nine months of that time is uh, spent in the mother's womb. Uh, not that they necessarily, mm -hmm. their soul doesn't necessarily join the fetus at 
right at the conception, although it can happen then. But the uh, point is that, the, that for many of them, and it's a very recent event, this past life, and that you know may be one of the reasons they remembered it. Plus, it was cut short, and so they they came back quickly because they felt. I guess I, I'm just kind of uh, supposing that maybe they felt like uh, you know they they got short life. They needed to come back and finish whatever it is they came here to do, or whatever. You know, they they got a so they came back. So that and. Uh, you know, it's also their first when they first started studying this, uh, these past life children's memories of past lives meant most of the cases were from the uh, from Asia, from India, from Thailand, places like that, where adults, people take it for granted that there are many lives and, that, you know, people are reincarnated. And so they don't tell the child that he's dreaming necessarily or that he's he's making it up or, you know, that can't possibly be true. They just, you know, they're kind of usually kind of annoyed by it because they want their child to be theirs and not remember some mother that they had in previous life or whatever, but, but they don't poo poo the idea. So they go ahead and let it, let them talk. Uh, whereas until the last say 10 or 15 years in the United States, you know, mothers and fathers would shut the kid up. There's a great story about uh, uh, a, uh, in fact, there was a book written called, I think, Soul Survivor, Soul, S-O-U-L, Survivor, uh, about a boy who was born, I think, in 1999, who remembered being a pilot in World War II. And this is one of those outliers that it was a lot longer than 15 months. And his, they were Southern Baptists, the parents. And so they, you know, it's not part of the Christian canon that reincarnation exists, although it did, was part of the Christian church up until 553 BC when the Second Council of Constantine took place and the Emperor Justinian had it removed from canon. But, uh, and so they, they just didn't believe it, but he kept talking about this, and then he started having nightmares about his, my plane's, my plane's on fire, boy, can't get out, blah, blah, blah. So they started looking into it, and they found somebody who actually fit the description, was killed at the Battle of Iwo Jima, which is where he said he was killed. His plane was shot down by anti-aircraft fire. He, there were people still alive who recalled seeing the plane hit, as he said, the nose with the thing went on fire, and he couldn't get out. And uh, this little boy said he actually picked his parents when he saw them on the beach in Hawaii uh, when they were staying at the pink hotel, hotel that was pink. And that is where that little boy was conceived. So, I mean, that story is really something. But uh, so, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of evidence that at least some, and we can't say that everybody's lived 100 times based on what uh, the University of Virginia has found out, but we can certainly say you know, they're, uh, they're, you can't say it's proof, but it's overwhelming evidence. You know, 2,500 stories to check out, you know, and most of them do. Some of them they can't verify because they can't 
you know, maybe it was too long ago or whatever. They can't find the person they, the child said he was before. But so anyway, uh, tremendous amount of evidence for reincarnation. Yeah, I think there's probably somebody this you probably have heard this person and I, I don't know her name, but she is a uh, like an ancient Egyptologist um, woman. And she became that because there's nobody that could read uh, the hieroglyphs and whatever this lost Hebrew type of language was. And this woman comes along and says, I know how to read that. I know what that says. And then she started describing all these, um, the buildings and things and how things were and the real, um, uh, what do we want to call them? Well, the, the people who really knew about the history of this said there's no possible way this person knows. She is actually thinking and behaving and knows the stuff that the queen of that time uh, would be familiar with this. So uh, they were saying that she's possibly a reincarnation of that person and that's why she's able to read all this stuff i don't know if you've heard that before i haven't heard about that uh, one but i'm not surprised by it i mean that's certainly uh, yeah. i mean those kinds of things happen there you know uh you probably know of the movie actor uh what's his name for um ford ford what played cowboy movies Harrison. no no for last name ford you know oh. um Anyway, he was a 1950s and 60s uh, leading oh, man. Okay. It'll come to me. John Ford? No, that's a director. But anyway, he was going to play a part in a movie uh, of the psychic. And so he decided to find out about psychics. And he had some past life regressions done on himself. And, you know, where they hypnotize you and you, they say, you know, go back to different lives and so forth. This. There are people out there who do that. I've, I've interviewed a couple of people that are in that business. That's what they do is they, they conduct past life regressions. And he was able to, for example, in one life, he was lived in France. He was able to speak French while he was under hypnotism. And he, had, he didn't know how to do it when he was you know, in a normal uh, state of consciousness. But under hypnotism, when he was back in that life, he could speak French. Uh, he was able to piano beautifully from another life uh, where he had been a, a, a music teacher and he didn't know how to play the piano in this life. So the idea that this woman would be able to read hieroglyphics is not surprising to me. I mean, uh, now that she could do it in a conscious state maybe is a little bit surprising, but certainly if she was a queen back in uh, ancient Egypt, she'd have been able to do that, you know, if she was taught. So there you go. Well, I hope you don't mind that we're talking about um, this topic more in depth than maybe what you thought we might, but this is so interesting because of the fact that, like you had mentioned that, you know, people are out there doing a business, whether they are all um, real, uh, doing the past life recall. And, you know, people see these things on discount. Come and get your past life recall for twenty nine ninety nine, <laughs> or I can do it over the phone. That type of thing, and I think that does a disservice to the ones who are uh, who can actually do that and bring that out of people. Now, early on, you mentioned about the reincarnation, and it kind of cut out on the on the audio, but you said 
about multiple reincarnations. Do we know um, of anybody that's had a dozen or anything like that? Well, the guy I just mentioned, and his name will probably come to me as soon as this interview is over, but uh, he, he had, he recalled at least six different incarnations. Now, people who are into this and the past life regression people uh, will tell you that most of us have had hundreds, hundreds of incarnations. So uh, the whole lot, I mean, what conclusion I've come to and that uh, many people have come to is that really life on earth is a, uh, it's a school, it's a university. We come here to learn and to evolve and uh, to we're, you know, evolving. We've come all the way from being, you know, one-celled animals in the sea to the top of the food chain here as human beings, but we've still got a long, long way to go. And uh, it would, I compare it to the movie uh, Groundhog's Day, where if you've seen that film, Bill Murray's character lives the same day over and over again, and the same things happen to him. And when he starts out, he's a real jerk and he's self-centered and, you know, people don't like him and he's, he just does everything wrong, you know, he's, you know, uh, and then by the end, after he's had, I don't know how many incarnations in that movie, actually days that are February 2nd, over and over and over again, same thing's happening. He finally, at the end, he's helping people, he's saving people who get for choking from, you know, food, and he's uh, being nice to the, to the, and, and all only, uh, finally gets to move on to February 3rd, but he gets the girl, you know? So I think that's kind of what life is, is like. We come into these, into an incarnation. We all have problems. We all face uh, situations where we have to make decisions. And sometimes we make the right decision and sometimes we make the wrong decision, but we, we somehow muddle through it. Life is like one challenge after another for most of us. I don't know many people who, who don't have a problem now and then. And yeah. Uh, each, you know, we either build up karma, positive karma or we build up bad karma because we either make good decisions or we make bad decisions. But I think we do keep coming back until we get it right, you know, and eventually when we do, when we learn our lessons and we've evolved, we'll move on to some other form of reality. It won't be this physical reality that we're in. And I hope it'll be something a whole lot better. But that's that's kind of the way I view it. No, with you saying that, I know there's going to be a number of listeners that are going to go, hey, that's like the Matrix, you know, movie. Well, the Matrix is, you know, that's a beautiful uh, kind of allegory about what, you know, we're living through. We're, it's like we are, we're in this, uh, in fact, there are people who think it's a simulated reality of some kind. And maybe it is. I don't think it's a computer simulation, but it, you know, we're here because we're here to experience and we're here to learn. I think on the other side, from what I can glean about it, uh, you don't, we don't, we can't have that same kind of experience. I mean, things are totally different. They're here. It takes a while. You've got to learn things. It takes time to think things through. You got to make decisions. Uh, there, all you, when I had that mystical experience I mentioned earlier, all I had to do was think about something and I had an answer. I didn't even have to ask the question. It was like I was just part of that mind that, that 
that is all, that's everything, that knows everything, that's experienced everything. So yeah, I think we come, I think that's the University of Earth. That's what we're doing. We're going, we're, we're in school here. Well, there's so many sci-fi TV shows that go along with everything that you're saying. And I don't know if the problem is that a lot of us or a lot of people may look at it and go, oh, it's science fiction because I saw it on the sci-fi rather than really taking this and thinking about it and, 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 uh, well, you know, I think that, that, that it's, before, uh, I think it's a common story now because it's something that we all know subconsciously. We don't consciously, I know it consciously now, but most people know it. They just don't know it consciously that that's why we're here. Uh, we're here to learn. We're here to, to have problems and to, to solve them and to confront them. It's, it's the hero's journey. If you, if you analyze almost any really good movie or book, it's the same story. You've got the hero who's in his normal world, you know, like, well, let's say uh, Dorothy in Kansas, and then something happens that shoves them into this difficult situation, and they've got to fight dragons and demons, and, you know, they make friends, but they, the, the friends have problems, and, you know, eventually they enter the, the uh, belly of the whale, and, you know, but through their own efforts, they are able to get out of it. And then right before the end, things look like a disaster, but they're able to solve that and they get back home on a higher level, knowing more and understanding more on a higher spiritual level than when they live, you know, when they left back at the beginning of the story. You know, there's no place like home is what Dorothy says when she finally gets home. She realizes that Kansas is an okay place. But anyway, that's the story that is behind, um, you know, I would say 90% really whether it's Star Wars or whether it's The Wizard of Oz. And it's the reason we relate to it because we're all those, like those heroes right now in this life, going through the problems and the things we have to deal with and you know, trying to find the solutions. So it's subconscious, but it's, it's us. It's us. And so The Matrix is us and uh, Star Wars is us and other, other stories that kind of pick up on that theme. Western culture, Eastern culture. Uh, and, and you'd said earlier too, that a lot of these kids, most of the kids that uh, were studied and proven that they'd had these past life uh, were on a, like Eastern culture. So do you think our religion or the way we've interpreted it on the West Coast has an effect on, um, how we experience things, whether it be a near-death experience, and then we just say, oh, I blacked out, and well, I saw something, but no, it wasn't that. Uh, whereas, Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, people in the East, human beings in the East, and in India, and, you know, whether they're Hindus, or Buddhists, or uh, Taoists, or I Ching, all that, re reincarnation is taken for it's just, you know, nobody questions it. It's, it's accepted. It's not accepted in the West because, as I mentioned earlier, there was a uh, emperor, Justinian, who wanted it removed from the church. He, the Pope reported to Justinian, and Justinian wanted it removed. And I think probably the motive was that if people thought they were going to have another chance to get to heaven, to get... Hmm 
to, <laughs> then they wouldn't have, they wouldn't obey the church and he's he represented the church he was the pope was his underling so he wanted it removed and the pope didn't want to remove it it was a very close vote but uh, i guess they did some arm twisting you know like in politics today and they finally voted reincarnation out of the christian con uh, canon but jesus apparently believed in reincarnation he uh for example uh one of the scripture some scripture that comes to mind is when he he and his disciples came upon the blind man and the blind man was blind from birth and so his uh disciples his followers who were with him said uh rabbi why was this man born blind was it he that sinned or was it his parents that sinned? And now what they're talking about there is karma. You know, bad things happen to you because you did something bad in a previous life or at some previous time. And so they're saying, you know, in other words, in his previous life, did he do something that caused him to be born blind now? Or was it his parents who did something that caused them to have a child who was born blind? Jesus says it wasn't either one. It was so that the the power of God could be seen through him, something like that. But he doesn't say that it's impossible that it was something that happened in a previous life. Another example is uh, uh, the when Jesus asked his followers, they said, he said to them, who do people say I am? And his follower, followers said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And, you know, and then Jesus goes on to talk about what he's there for and so on. But uh, a lot of much a contemporary, but Elijah and the prophets, the last prophet died 400 years before Jesus was on earth. So for him to be Elijah, one of the prophets, he'd have to be reincarnated to be Elijah, one of the prophets. So at those times in Jesus' time, people took, just like they do in the East, took reincarnation for granted. And certainly the pagans did, and the, some of the Jews did, and some of them didn't. I think the, uh, there were different sects, but it was, it was something that was pretty commonly accepted, let's put it that way. So it was part of the Christian church for 500 years. And it was removed uh, at the Council, Second Council of Constantine in Constantinople in uh, 553 AD. So, but because it was removed, we, we people don't don't accept it. You know, whether they're Christians or not, they're, they're brought up in a culture that does not accept Christ, uh, reincarnation. Surveys show, right. that, however, that more and more people do accept it. Even 25% of Christians now except reincarnation as real yeah i wonder if part of that now has go is you know has to do with um i hear people frequently say they don't like they don't like being on this planet they don't like what's happening they can't wait to leave so now they're saying to themselves i know there's something else out there and that's where i want to go and that's where i'm going to be when i leave here so do you think part of that um it's more of a they're forcing themselves to want to believe so they say they believe 
I don't know if I'm making sense on that. It's just I'm taking a look at the world situation and you hear people, like I said, oftentimes saying that they're so sick and tired of what's going on in this planet and that they want to be in a better place. And so therefore they're telling themselves, when I die, I'm going to a better place. Therefore, I'm going to believe in that. You know, and there's a lot of evidence that so we were you were we were talking about uh, the near death experiences. There are plenty of near death experiences that have been reported where people uh, left their bodies and, have, you know, come back and said told things that happened around them or uh, that they saw while they were while their heart was stopped and they were on an operating table. So, I mean, they left their body. They saw what was going on. They, they can tell you what the doctors and the nurses were saying. They can tell you what, what was being done on their body to try to revive them and so forth. So they were like me in that story I told right at the beginning, who were looking down saying, hey, I'm not my body. I'm up here. I'm my consciousness. I'm my memories. And more and more people hear stories like that because more and more modern science is able to bring people back who died who and resuscitate them you know hundreds of years ago it didn't happen very often it did happen but not very often uh so i think people are just beginning to realize and accept that uh, we are what my definition of a human being is a spiritual being an eternal spiritual being who is having a temporary physical experience that is my definition of a human being. And I'm somebody who was brought up in a scientific materialist family who didn't believe any of that. I thought that when you died, it was like you pulled the plug on the TV and it went Psst, and it was over. That's now it. I don't think that at all. And it's the yeah, evidence, it's... you know, that I've seen, that I've, that I've got my book, Life After Death, Powerful Evidence You'll Never Die. Go to my website, shmartin.com and Click on books in the menu, and you'll you'll find it there among the other books. Yeah, definitely, and and Amazon's got a lot of your books out there too. So oh yeah, Amazon. Well, there. when you click on it, it'll take you to the page on Amazon where you can you can get it in Kindle, you can get it in paperback, you can get it in hardcover. It's also an audio book. It's been uh, published in audio form too. You know, there was this uh, doctor uh, Bruce Grayson, and you could. Google him or put it, put him on uh, into uh, YouTube, for example. He's done a number of videos and interviews like this one, where he has he studied uh, past uh, near death experiences. He did not he did not believe that they were possible until he was a resident again at UVA, I think. But anyway, he was a resident, and he was working in the ER in the emergency room and he had a uh, a patient who was taken down you know to another room and he went and tended to her and uh, she told him that she had seen him back in the waiting room talking to her friend and that and she she told him what the friend and he were talking about and and also described uh what something that happened i think he spilled something on his tie well she was in this room that was in another part of the hospital <laughs> in bed who had, had just been revived from a near-death experience and she was telling him about some about him and what he had done 
you know, 50 yards away in another part of the hospital. And that's what got him started on his uh, search and his interest in, in near-death experiences. And he's, in fact, I think he's got a new book out about, about that. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing happens all the time. Happens all the time. Is this part of what you talk about where the, uh, uh, the consciousness is not confined to our brains? Part of that? Yeah, either? the brain, the, you know, the, uh, the conclusion that they've come to at the uh, Department of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia, Division of per Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia, is that the brain is a receiver of consciousness. So your consciousness really is non-local, uh, or at least it's not contained within your skull. It's uh, your brain is, you might call it like a, a cell phone that picks up the consciousness and and it certainly has an influence on your consciousness. Really what it does, it dummies you down. Uh, when you uh, are out of your body and your brain is not, you know, got, got its hold on your consciousness, you can know a lot more and think a lot faster and things are a lot clearer. And that's what people describe when they come back is that everything was so vivid and clear and I could, all I had to do was think about something and I got the answer and things like that. Because the brain kind of is a reducer, it reduces down your, your consciousness and you got to think about things. And when you make a decision, you get, you know, what if I do that? Or what if I do this? Whereas when the brain is, and, and people have Alzheimer's, you know, they, that's when their brain is really not working very well. So, and he really dumbs them down so they don't remember anything. But uh, it's uh, a receiver of consciousness that integrates it with your body. That's what the brain does. It's not, it doesn't create anything. It receives and integrates. We'll be right back on More on the Brain with Stephen Howley Martin after this short message. Well, you know, with me just sitting here thinking about that, you can make sense out of it because if you, you, you hear people, well, it's a fact that what um, there's electrical currents running through our body from one neuron to the next, uh, our receptors. So why can't those receptors that are still in our body pick up other consciousness brain waves energy that might have escaped and now we pick it up it, again that's how i'm thinking about it if that sounds yeah. nuts it to me it makes sense that way yeah i see it all there's really all, there's really one mind and there are different levels of mind we have our conscious mind that you and i are operating in right now we have our unconscious mind that has that's programmed you know when you get into a car uh, and you turn the key and you pull the the lever into drive and all you don't think about that that's all part of your programmed unconscious mind when you're driving along and you're thinking about something else you 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 go the way you usually go and didn't don't turn on the street you were going to turn on because you were thinking about something else i mean you know you're you're on automatic pilot so that's two levels that's the conscious mind where we are right now the unconscious mind that's programmed and has memories then you've got the subconscious mind that is um, some sort of like the soul and that it has memories from past lives and then you have the uh, uh, universal 
subconscious mind, which is everybody's, if Akashic records is what they call it, where it's everybody's memories. And then you've got the ground of being mind that is all, everything, all that is, uh, the uh, cosmic mind, you might call it. So, but it's all one mind, it's just different layers. And uh, when you leave your body, you're able to get in touch with those other levels a whole lot easier than when you're uh, in your physical body because you know it's just picking up on your on your conscious thoughts and so forth so i'm gonna take this jump this leap over to something else uh in your expertise so we, we've talked about being reincarnated uh past life recall past life and things like that so and it's possible that it's because of unfinished business that that other person or entity wanted to uh, re-experience or experience. So what happens, or what's your thought behind, what happens if that person dies naturally of old age and they're ready to go? Is there life beyond death? Well, I think that what happens when somebody's you know ready to go is they, they probably go back to, I think we each have a soul group, a group of souls that are in a similar state of uh, uh, evolution that we are part of, that we are part of when we're here and we're part of it when we go back. But when we're here, the only time we may connect with them would be when we're asleep or, or whatever. But uh, mm -hmm. I think that when we pass on, when we die, we probably rejoin that group and we may stay there for a while. You know, one of the things that the, uh, the Rosicrucians, I mentioned that earlier that I became one of those after when I was searching uh, mystical society, a society of studies, metaphysics. Uh, they believe that the average uh, between incarnations, well, the average incarnation is 140 years. So if you live for 70 years, in your physical body, you're going to have 70 years in your non-physical realm before you return. So it's it's like a sine curve where you uh, are incarnated, you're not incarnated, you're incarnated, you're not incarnated. And, and that whole curve, the up and down part takes about 140 years. Now that's just on average. They don't say that it's hard and fast, but it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and you know, Another thing is, I am correlating a lot of stuff that you're saying um, with movies. I love movies, but Soul was this recent um, animation cartoon, and it was kind of the same thing where if you happen to die or if it was uh, by accident, your your soul goes up to a collecting place, and they're going to reassign you to somebody else. <laughs> that might have had uh, a more a better outcome that is also passing too soon but they put you in there your soul or they reassess what you were and your your strengths and then they find the right match for you so i mean if, if people you know, are non you know, I, they have doubts yeah I've, I've seen excerpts from that movie i haven't seen the whole thing but you know i think there's probably a lot of proof to that you know, something like it anyway. Uh, I think we do have some choice in who we 
become, you know, where we are incarnating to what parents, because it's likely to provide the kind of environment that'll help us uh, have those experiences we're looking for and learn the lessons we need to learn. Not that we necessarily will, <laughs> but that uh, at least it'll set the stage for it that uh, makes it possible. So there you go. Dude. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it, it, so I know we got some little bit of time left, but um, we've been talking about the incarnation, reincarnation and things like that. And then we also hear a lot of people in the Western cultures talk about your soul and your soul goes to heaven. So is there a difference uh, between that consciousness that might go to somebody else or elsewhere uh, and your soul? So I guess what I'm asking is, so what is a soul then? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question, and it's a difficult one to answer, but the best ex- des- description I've had, at least what resonates with me, from what I've had other people who probably know more about this than I do, is that the soul is the soul never actually incarnates. The soul stays always on the other side in non-physical reality. But part of the soul incarnates each time and i've heard it described as the soul is like a hand and each of the fingers is a different incarnation so altogether, the soul is the hand and the palm and each of the fingers is a different incarnation so this finger steve stephen holly martin go to my website (laughs) shmartin.com and get one of my books yeah, so that that's you yes, know, I, does absolutely. that make sense to you? I mean, about this the hand, it, because you know people I, conjure it, it up. Does. I, I have a. I, I'm also in the publishing business. I have a book publishing company. Anybody wants to publish a book, please let me know. But I uh, I'm just recently published a book by a woman who, through a psychic, uh, she got it. She was like me, she was a scientific materialist and her husband died. And she started wondering if his, if he still existed, if his spirit still existed. So she got in mm-hmm. touch with a psychic who was able to get in touch, apparently she thinks, with her husband's uh, spirit and they conversed and so forth. And so she decided to have this uh, psychic try to get in touch. She had written a book, a history kind of book interesting book about uh, George With, who was Thomas Jefferson's mentor. He was a professor at William and Mary that taught law back in the 17th century, and he taught Thomas Jefferson and a number of other uh, people who became uh, important in our American history. Anyhow, she decided she would try, try to get not only in touch with, with George With whom she did, but also Thomas Jefferson. And she has recently published a book based on these uh, sessions that she and her psychic friend had with Thomas Jefferson, asking him about things that he did back then, but also his opinions of what's going on now. And as you said earlier, we're going through a chaotic time. A lot of people would like to be somewhere else. But the idea that Thomas Jefferson could still 
be contacted after over 200 years. I think he died in 1826, yeah, 50 years from the signing of Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 50 years to the day from the signing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, would indicate that he is one of these fingers because he's probably reincarnated as somebody else several times since then, if you see what I mean. So. Yeah, you know, the, the frightening <laughs> thing is, it makes me think back, Not, I don't even think, well, I shouldn't say this, but Ouija board. Oh. How does that thing move? Uh, How does that move? Yeah, I, I can tell you that I've heard some some really wild stories about Ouija boards, and I would also tell you, listeners, don't do it, because a lot of people, terrible things end up happening to them because of it. I mean, you open a door to the yeah. other side. Go on Google, just put these words, two words in, Ouija warning, and see what comes up. I did it once. You know, hundred thousand hits, and they're all about you know people like you know uh, are paralyzed and their <laughs> the spirits kind of get them. I mean, oh my God, don't do it, don't do it. I, I'm going to type Have those two words in like there. I'm going to take. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it. I'm well, serious. I haven't had any bad experience, but I have not done it. It's it's as I got older and friends, people, I'd say, hey, let's do this for fun. They're like, uh, no way. Don't do it. Don't no. do it. And I'm, I'm with them now. It's like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> no, you, you can. You can uh, open a door that you don't want to open. Because those, those yeah. spirits that are going to be interested in the Ouija board are hanging out in what's called the astral plane, which is the, a very low plane. And they're not necessarily good people. Uh, I mean, I could get into that, too. I, I uh, <laughs> Uh, interviewed somebody the other day. Actually, I was interviewed by somebody the other day that had some horrible Ouija board experiences. And I think it's probably, I wrote you a know, book about my ancestor who was one of the Salem witches. She wasn't really a witch, but she was hanged anyway. And uh, mm -hmm. she, uh, the whole thing started because of a Ouija board kind of situation where there was this uh, Carib Indian woman her name was Tituba, who was entertaining uh, the children of the people that she was part of the family of uh, with magic tricks and fortune telling. And I think she opened up uh, the doorway between this and the other side. And <clears throat> that's a, a large part of what brought about that whole witch hysteria. But anyway, that's another story. I was gonna say, I'd love to have you back and have a, a conversation about this stuff, but you've only got a couple minutes left and I want to be uh, conscious and aware of your, uh, your our hard, hard stop. Yeah. But, so the last thing, if you could do it in two, two minutes of your time, and then I want to make sure that we um, tell everybody again where they can find your book and your publishing company. But the last thing in question is, what is the ultimate destiny of humankind? Uh, Level one, first density is just matter itself, you know, earth with no life on it. Level two is earth with life on it, you know, but life that is animal and plant and so forth. Level three is uh, life with uh, earth, say, with life that is conscious of itself. That's us human beings. We're we're able to figuratively step outside ourselves and think about our existence and are we in a matrix or not. Level four is what we're passing into. We're going now from level three to level four. And on level four, we do realize that we are 
uh, spiritual beings having a physical experience. And level four, you have to make a decision between service to self and service to others. I've got a book called uh, Your your guide to achieve fourth density, and you can read all about it there. Level five is where we uh, become more wise. We really focus on wisdom. So level four, we're focusing on love and doing service to others or service to self. Level five, we're uh, focusing on wisdom. We're passing now into level four. Level five is the last physical in uh, incarnation. We no longer incarnate in bodies after level five. Level six is where uh, wisdom and uh, love are combined and uh, become complete. Level seven is where we are in the process of returning to the source. And at the end of level seven, we return to the source, but we keep our individual consciousness. And I don't know what that's like, but makes sense to me. And we probably start this process all over again after that. But who knows, maybe we become a universe or whatever, or cosmic mind or whatever at that point. I don't know. But those are the seven levels that we pass through. And we're only on three moving into four. Got a long way to go. Yes, we do. And as the board would say, you will be assimilated. (laughs) Uh, So let's Let's make sure that all the listeners and viewers know exactly where to go again for your for your books and uh, your publishing company. Yeah, so. it's uh, go to my website. I have my my publishing company is called the Oakley Press. It's spelled kind of a funny way because when I started the business twenty five years ago, it was I was at a place called the Oakley Farm, and I, that's where I had my office up. So, Go to my website, which is shmartin.com, shmartin.com. And if you want to know about my books, click on the menu uh, button that says books, and it'll take you there. And you can click on any of the covers, and it'll take you to the page on Amazon. You can read about it, maybe read the first chapter or two, find out more. If you're interested in publishing, if you've got a book you want to publish or you're in somewhere in that realm, you know, you need help with editing or you just need help uh, put the, the right in the right uh, file so you can upload them, you know, whatever it is, click on the uh, button up in the menu that says publishing services. And that'll tell you what I offer, give you a little idea of, you know, what I would can do for you. So those, those are the two things. Go to my website, shmartin.com. And I, uh, and you can send me an email by hitting on the contact button and it'll take you to a page where you can get in touch with me and I'll get right back to you as quickly as I can, certainly within 24 hours. You do get back to, uh, at least to me, you get back to people very promptly. Yeah. So yeah, thank I try you very to much do on that. that. And we are right at that mark. So uh, Mr. Martin, I thank you very much for your time today. And we definitely open the doors up for, for further thought on life after death. And definitely what we mentioned, Ouija board warning. (laughs) I'm looking that up. Okay. Well, I've enjoyed it, Chuck. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that certainly was enlightening. And that's no pun intended on that. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did with the conversation that I had with Mr. Martin. It definitely opened up my mind to all sorts of possibilities and really 
brought out some curiosity, so I want to dive into a little bit more. So, with that being said, I want to say thank you very much to all of you for listening to this podcast and all the other podcasts. If you haven't subscribed, please consider subscribing. And please, if you don't subscribe, just continue coming back to help spread the word. Leave a comment and please rate this because all of that helps with the algorithms to let this podcast be known to the masses. And that is my goal is to let as many people know about this particular podcast channel. So again, thank you very much. And no matter what time it is and wherever you're at, enjoy and have a great day. My name is Chuck Tuck. And this has been a podcast from Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. So long.